This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. South Dining, and we are listening to Green Onions. Had any green onions lately, Carol? <laughs> I have plenty of green onions now. How about you? I love them sautéed yeah. with scrambled eggs. You've got to put green onions in everything. Mm-hmm. How was your week? My week's been good. I've uh, cooked a little, sometimes cooked a lot. Um, I did a really good dish Friday night, Portuguese fish stew. Mm-hmm. Sounds delish. Yeah. Well, uh, as you know, John lived in Portugal for a few years. And so anytime I can come up with something that is a little hint of Portugal, it's a very good thing. And it was also a way to, a great way to use up some frozen fish. Oh, you know, yeah. when you get a little bit too much from the fish market and I put them in little plastic bags, just chunks of fish to save for fish tacos and stuff, and I had some um, some grouper, some redfish, and it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it sounds delicious. Now, what goes in the Portuguese sort of broth, as it were? Well, one of the most unique things is how they use paprika, and mm-hmm. the recipe starts with heating up oil and putting like a tablespoon of paprika, and when that paprika hits the hot oil, the aroma in the kitchen is, you know, phenomenal. So wow. it's the paprika, the oil, lots of uh, tomatoes, green onions, bell peppers, and then you nestle the fish. Uh-huh. After the tomatoes cooked in, you kind of just nestle it uh, in, in there and cook the fish for three or four minutes. It's delicious. You know, speaking of nestling the fish between vegetables, I watched an episode um, on the Create channel uh, called uh, My Greek Kitchen. I'm sure you've watched it before. And they were uh, harvesting and cooking sardines, which are just a delicacy uh, there uh, in the Mediterranean. But uh, I was thinking about how neat uh, and how fresh uh, this, this dish looked, and it sounded a lot like what you cooked. Well, I remember when you went to Italy a few years ago, you were telling me about uh, how they grill sardines. You know, you just go into a seaside restaurant and the sardines that they have are more like six or seven inch yeah. small fish, not can of sardines like we get at the grocery store. <laughs> right. Very different. Now, we had a great uh, weekend here. Kara made two fabulous dishes. One is she she bought a bunch of fresh pears, which I know you've been working with lately, and made a beautiful pear galette. Uh, and and it was just delightful. It was, she made a tremendous, uh, almost as big as a hubcap galette. So we've been eating on that for a couple of days. She also got inspired by a, a recipe she saw for lemon, chicken, barley, lentil, and green soup and man was that a good soup well you have to share that recipe i will yeah yeah and it was it was so fresh uh with the lemon chicken 
and the, the baby greens cut up in it, and then the barley and the lentils, uh, and a lot of garlic, of course, and it was just simply delicious. So anyway, we ate on that, both the soup and the galette, uh, throughout the weekend, and they were both uh, very, very tasty. Well, today I'm going to make persimmon pudding. Uh, my oh, friends, boy. Yeah, my friends Neil and Janie Strickland gave me some Japanese persimmons uh, that they said were actually grafted onto native trees. And I've been looking online and you know, looking around and talking to people about what to do with the persimmons. I really wanted to, to do a dessert. So I found a recipe in the New York Times website, uh, and it, it's so interesting because the persimmon pudding recipe actually comes from a woman in Mitchell, Indiana, where they have a persimmon festival every fall. Huh. And she Who knew? Yeah, she's been entering it since, since 1962. So I know that this woman knows how to cook persimmon. But I'm hoping we can talk to Felder about persimmons because that's, that's really a fall transition. Yeah, yeah. And I know Felder, uh, he'll either know everything there is to know about a persimmon or he'll just make it up. Whichever feels most natural. Yeah, to and him. he's he's probably eating one this morning. Now, my grandmother, uh, Pat uh, Taylor White, had a persimmon tree in her yard in Wiggins, and I must say this is something of a sacrilege, but we didn't really eat them. We ate them when they got fully ripe, but mostly we used them uh, to throw at each other, and we would play uh, war and and toss persimmons at each other. And then there are two things I remember. One was that the persimmons, when they were green, were just so sour that uh, it, it was remarkable. But the other thing were the bees. And once those things, the tree got loaded up with, with ripe persimmons, the bees would come and just take over the tree. It was like something to bee behold. Like a bee magnet. And yeah. I remember yeah, being, young, being young that persimmons made you pucker up. I mean, that right. you hit hit that taste and your mouth goes dry and goes, ooh. <laughs> How does it go? <laughs> so are you planning a fall garden? You planning on uh, growing anything? I've been getting mine ready. I got my little patch ready. Uh, I'm mulching it. I put some uh, good mushroom uh, compost in there. It, it's the same bed that I had my zinnias in through the spring. And so I pull them all up. And I'm prepping the ground now, and I'm just waiting for, for lettuce and kale uh, and cabbage and all of the winter greens to, to come in uh, to, the, uh, to, to the garden centers. And I'm sure Felder can tell us when that's going to happen and how to get ready for a good fall vegetable garden. Well, I'm, I'm anxious to talk to him, and this may be a pitiful excuse, but no, I do not have a fall garden because I've had my heart broken by fall gardens because where we are the deer eat everything uh, in oh, okay. and um i don't know maybe felder will change my mind but he's a persuasive he's yeah. a persuasive chap yeah and speaking of which felder you know, is here I'm, good morning you, felder. Know you know i'm listening to y'all talking about me <laughs> <laughs> i'm right here guys <laughs> Well, since we can't see you, it's like you're not here. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Actually, I'm out, I'm out in my garden, as a matter of fact. You know, I've got a 
my uh, cottage garden is overstuffed, and I've got mostly flowers and shrubs and trees and you know perennials and things like that. But I, I use vegetables like a lot of people use flowers. I've got little beds here and there, and one small dedicated 100 square foot, uh, th- three three foot three and a half foot wide by uh, 30 foot long raised bed. But mostly I grow them because they're pretty, and I love it because Carol, when you, they're pretty, and when you try to look at them, you can eat them. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> so, oh, yeah. what do you what do you know about persimmons, Felder? Well, I was I was raised with the old persimmon up in the Delta. My great grandmother planted one that Katrina finally blew over, but uh, it sprouted back out. But the Japanese persimmons, it, it, you know, you go to J- to Japan, and of course they're native. They're all over the the hillsides and stuff. But most people in Japan have a persimmon tree, and they've got little drying racks, almost like what you would dry your your clothes on uh, to harvest. But there's one in particular, because uh, Carol, you're talking about how they make you pucker that astringency. Our native uh, persimmons are notorious for that. A lot of people don't realize that our native persimmons, which are big trees, are both separate male and female, and you got to have both to get persimmons. But uh, until they're fully ripe, you cannot eat them. The Japanese ones, there's one called Fuyu or Fuyugaki that's about the size of my fist, is orange. It's, pretty, it's the color of the inside of sweet potatoes, but it is not astringent. You can eat it right off the tree, Self, self-pollinating, one tree. And I see them all over the place where people use them as ornamentals this time of year. And you can eat them with a, you know, right off the tree, right on the hand, not astringent at all. Well, oh. you know, interesting that you talk about the Fuyu because the recipe I was talking about from Mitchell, Indiana, and the persimmon festival, it, it uses five Fuyu persimmons. Yeah. Well, and, and here's the, one of the reasons why, because it's it's one of the few that's not only it, it's self-fruit, it'll pollinate itself. A lot of persimmons have to have different varieties, but Fuyu is, pollinates itself, so it's seedless. Isn't that interesting? So, so you know, you could eat it, and the other, you don't have to to get the the seeds and stuff out like you do some of the others. But it's a beautiful landscape plant. It's a showstopper. Uh, I mean, this time of year they're starting to color up, and everywhere I, I, I look, I, I'm seeing these because a lot of people are planting them as ornamental plants. You know, it, whether you have a cat to throw at, yeah, excuse me, throw at each other, <laughs> <laughs> or you want to eat them. But anyway, if you. Fuyu is a good-looking landscape plant. It colors up this time. You a little pumpkins on the tree, and uh, just as, as tasty as it could be right off the tree. Hey, Felder, well, I bet you can visualize little Hal and little Mal White throwing persimmons at each other down oh, in yeah, Wiggins, yeah. Mississippi. I, I, I can hear the grandmother, too, because he, she, he, they were picking them off her tree. <laughs> you know, been there. Done, yeah, she been wasn't too at. pleased about that. No. no. So it, tomorrow it, is officially fall, Felder, as as you well know. So talk to yeah. us about a good uh, prep and a how to begin to uh, prepare our fall gardens. Well, you know, uh, we we've all seen how this year, because of the virus, a lot of people all over suburbia, people are putting little raised beds out in the front yards. It's sort of like a badge of honor. So. Uh, you know, virtue signaling or something like that. But a lot of people plant, they think you have to plant like farmers, plant everything at once. Um, but in my little garden, if, when something is harvested, you know, my tomatoes die or, you know, or whatever, I just pull them up and stick something in the hole as I go, just add a little compost to it, stir it in, instead of digging the whole thing up. Uh, I had, uh, uh, in my long raised bed, I had the, the, the corn, 
and the beans and the squash, uh, every few feet I had that little combination with sweet potatoes in between. Well, the sweet potatoes are just, they're really coming on great right now. They're pretty ground covers. But where the, the, the squash and beans and corn were, I pulled them up, reworked the dirt, and already I've got uh, broccoli, cabbage. I've got Swiss chard, which is so pretty. I, I, I hate to cut it to cook with because it's so pretty. Uh, I've got even trying some Brussels sprouts, which only about half the people in the world can even stand to be in the same house when it's being cooked. <laughs> I but, love a Brussels sprout. Yeah, but, you know, and, and I'll enough, love to roast them. Okay, now here, here's the deal, though. They, they put, there's a, a, a switch on a gene that we have, and about half the people it switches on and about half off that you either like it or you don't, and it's, it's on a gene. They've proven that. So when people say they just no. can't stand it, it is a, actually a genetic switch. I mean, wow. you know, who would who would who would make this up? So you know, and there's not enough butter, to make it, you know, that you can put. A, I'll, I'll eat them roasted, you know, because it's real traditional in in England. But uh, anyway, the cabbages, the broccoli. Uh, one of my favorites for 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 fall and winter is kale. You know, not not just because it's the yuppie collars, but because it's pretty. And there's one, <laughs> I, 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 literally, there's one that's called lacinata, or uh, tus- it's what the Tuscans have used uh, for minestrone for 300 years. The Tuscan blue kale or lacinata is is blue. I mean, it is blue. It's a pretty plant in a pot. And uh, anytime you're making a soup or a stew, you just break a few of the lower leaves off. But it's a pretty plant, and it'll take ten below zero. So, wow. Uh, I always, wow. Yeah, so I always put uh, one or two plants here and there in flower beds and in pots, you know, with some pansies or some daffodils or something like that around it because it's pre- it even grows in the back of my pickup truck. Um, so anyway, the Tuscan blue kale, which some of the garden centers are getting, some of the wholesalers growing, but kale is a pretty plant. Uh, it's, it's more nutritious than collards, and you don't have to use bacon grease to make it where you can eat it. Yeah. <laughs> um, Felder. I was in one of our local grocery stores a couple of years ago, and the employees had on buttons that said, said collards are the new kale. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and, and, and it's, it's a pretty – a lot of people – you know, collards is a great plant. There's different varieties. Uh, let, me, let me throw this out. Malcolm, when you're getting ready to go out uh, to the garden center, it's real tempting with the, with the cabbages and broccoli, those – to get a, a, a by the big plants, but these are unusual plants in that if they ever stop growing, they get stunted, they get droughty or cold. If they stop growing, they don't pick back up and make a good cabbage head or broccoli head. So the trick with those is to get small plants and keep them growing. You know, water them as needed. And little plants, not those big woody you know, woody stems, but a small plant will grow steadily, and that's the key to getting a nice head of broccoli or a nice tight cabbage head. Because if they ever shut down, they don't pick back up. And that's where a lot of people mm. mess up is they plant these things in, later in the fall, and we get a frost that stops them from growing, and they don't pick back up. So I, I plant – mine have been out, I guess, a couple of weeks or so. But anyway, look for the little plants, You know, work the dirt up pretty good, and then when you put them in the ground, loosen the roots up just a little bit, but keep them, you know, push them. You know, don't keep them wet, but don't let, don't just stick them out there and forget about them like you can collards, or they just won't pick gotcha. back up and make that head. That's hey, Felder, great tip. <laughs> uh, thinking about our friends who live in apartments and zero lot line uh-huh. houses, what can you grow in pots? Do do the cabbage and the kale work well yeah. in pots? 
Yeah, kale is a terrific plant. I mean, I, I grow it. I have a pot in the back of my truck. Y'all have seen this. I grow vegetables in a oh, yeah. pot in the back of my truck. But kale is a beautiful plant. It doesn't take a, and it grows upright. So it's it's a it's a good sort of that that little power plant that you plant other stuff around with it. You know, lettuces are really really easy to grow. You know, if somebody wants to try several little pots um, of of lettuce. What you do is you get two or three different kinds of lettuce seeds, you know, some red kinds, some, some curly kinds, some green kinds, and you mix the seeds together and put just a little pinch in each of these little small pots or, or, or maybe a, a styrofoam egg carton, and then you transplant them into pots, and you have a ready-made little mixed salad, and as pretty as it can be, just real pretty. Yeah. But, but kale is and really... And that's great. I, yeah, I don't know that I would uh, fool with things like cabbage or carrots or beets because you can buy those cheap if you got a little small place right. you want to get the most out of it by producing something that produces something that's either expensive like broccoli or something that that produces a long time like the kale does you know but i mean carrots i spent more on carrot seeds than i spent on carrots <laughs> all year but uh but I, i've grown because they're pretty but they're, and i tell you one other thing that you can grow really well in a, in a pot uh starting in october you can plant these cloves of garlic. You know, you plant them just like you do daffodil in the fall. They grow over the winter time. In the spring, they die down, and you've got these. I've, I've grown uh, as many as a dozen uh, bulbs of garlic in one pot, and throw some pages in with it, and it's a nice little combination. But garlic is really, really easy to grow in a pot as a companion to some flowers. And you know, next spring you have all the garlic you can throw at the cat. I mean, wow. I mean, it'll, I mean, it'll stay forever and ever. I know uh, out out in Edwards, where where I am right now, there there's an old homestead on the property. You know, nobody's been there since the 30s, I guess. And the daffodils and the garlic come up every year, and it's just a beautiful thing. You know, beautiful thing to see. And and the garlic, it's it's got that that big softball sized white flower in the springtime. Yeah. Now what I what I do with my garlic is I is when it starts to make the fly I have some planted in the garden just for the flowers, but uh, when I where I'm growing it to eat in the springtime when it starts making that little flower bud I just snap it off so all the energy goes down into the bulb instead of up into a flower. Hmm. Well, Felder, we appreciate you joining us this morning, sharing a little bit of your wisdom around the fall garden. And uh, yeah. are you still pres- are you still making fig and pear preserves? I know Job has been asking. I, I, I put up I, I put up enough fig preserve. You know, usually I'm in England this, uh, in the summertime, and I don't get many chances to to make figs. But I put up a bunch of enough to last me for what a couple of years or so. <laughs> and it's pretty. And, well, we- plus, and plus, I give them. I make these little yuppie half pint things they look cute things because <laughs> yeah. you, know, you give them away because uh, carol you know you can buy vermont maple syrup at every piggly wiggly in the south but you got to know somebody to get homemade pig preserves you are absolutely <laughs> right and I, i'm glad you're doing the little yuppie giveaway size i, I did some pear preserves like that too it's been a hard morning for yuppies here on Deep South Dining. Felder Rushing, thank you so much for joining us. We always appreciate hearing from you. And folks, you can listen to the Gestalt Gardener every Friday at 9 a.m. right here on MPB Think Radio. You can get an hour plus of Felder Rushing's wisdom and his knowledge and his experience. We'll be back in a few minutes. We're going to shift gears and we're going to welcome restaurateur Jeff Good to the show. So stay tuned.
Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, that's amore. When the world seems to shine, well, welcome like back you had to Deep South Dining right here on MPB Think Radio. That's amore. I'm Malcolm White with Carol Puckett, whose aura is glowing delightfully so this morning. Carol, how you doing? I'm doing great, and I love that intro, and uh, it's the intro for Jeff. That can be your theme song. When the moon hits your eye like a big pizza pie, I would adopt that if I were you. (laughs) I think it's already taken, but I guess you can use your creative license. Welcome our guest to the show, Carol, the one and only. The one and only Jeff Good, president of the Mangia Bean Restaurant Management Group, the owner and operator, co-owner and operator of Bravo Italian Restaurant and Bar, which is my home dining room, uh, Broad Street Breaking <laughs> <laughs> Broad Street, Broad Street Bakery Baking, <laughs> baking Company, and. Sal and Mookie's New York Pizza and ice cream joints. Uh, he's breaking bad. We'll get yeah. Jeff Good. We'll get there one way or the other. You know what? Actually, that's not a bad idea during COVID, Malcolm. I'm. Hey, hey, wait a minute. Oh Lord. How are you, sir? I'm well. I'm well. I, I really appreciate you all having me on, and I want to tell you how much I enjoyed the the uh, the talk with Felder there. Um, I'm fortunate enough that I'm on his walking path when he goes uh, when he does his show and when he goes up to to um, the R&D center that um, uh, he walks across my street. So he he comes in and gives me some good advice. He told me I needed to get my cast iron plants out of the sun and Felder, you'll be glad to know that last <laughs> week I transplanted every damn one of those things. <laughs> and does he I, drop in its place? So there you go. Does he drop little seeds like Johnny Applewhite when he moves he around the Johnny neighborhood? Johnny Appleseed, Malcolm. Oh, Appleseed, yeah. Well, Johnny Applewhite used to teach science at St. Andrews, so there you go. Um, but, uh, uh, no, he never has brought me a seed, but he brings me a lot of advice, and it's always very kind. And he just kind of, you know, he's got that shake of the head that's like, oh, bless yeah. his heart. Well, it must be Johnny Applewhite that's the father of Rivers Applewhite, who is a character in Willie Morris's books. So how's that for a connection? Wow. Reading all those books behind you, I see. Very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Jeff, I'm impressed that you have time to garden right now with all that's going on in the restaurant industry. And I know you are working night and day. Well, trying thank to, you. Trying to keep it going. Well, you know, so so self help is a real thing. I think that all of us are are struggling with that. In uh, um, you know, this is month six, and today's news is not very good um, about what's what's happening in the fear for the fall. I think a lot of things are starting to settle in, 
And so uh, I think it's really important that all of us do whatever we can do to, to, um, to self-help. But uh, this has been a, an extraordinary experience um, for restaurants and retail in general. And I'd, I'd love to share, you know, kind of the, um, the timeline with you all, if you'd like that. Yeah. Uh, is, that, is that something you'd like to share? That's what we're here so, for. So, um, well, good. We'll start the therapy clock. This will be great. Um, I'll, I'll write a check and send it. Um, <laughs> and, and for all your listeners. So for, to take everyone back, uh, it was right around, you know, the, um, the, the Mal St. Patty's Day Parade, you know, to bring Malcolm and, and his, his brother into this. Uh, it was that weekend of the 17th, 18th, 19th that the shutdown happened. So we were... Um, you know, we, we watched in, in early March as the concern for the virus and things were coming from, um, you know, the state of Washington, the news coming through and, and you know, everyone was, was reacting to what was happening. What we first saw is at Broad Street, which is our catering hub, and, um, you know, we do, and I just, we do a boatload of catering. That is a major, as a full one third of our business at Broad Street, a full one third. And we saw that first two weeks of March was was event after event, meeting after meeting, just cancel, 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 cancel. Jamie Farner and Avon Whittington, our, our two catering managers, were just flipping out. And it was it was like falling off a waterfall. And then there came the narrative that there was going to be a shutdown and there was going to be a shelter in place. And we had to close all of our restaurants. And I think that that, you know, probably 90 percent of the restaurants um, that weren't fast food. Uh, went through a, a some type of a shutter or a, a close down. Most of the the restaurateurs that are my peers in this market uh, did a full shutdown. That was extremely painful. I've been for 26 years in this business. I've been I've worked so hard to build a team that cares and a culture that is is extraordinary. And it's one of our secret weapons. And we had to terminate every single person in our on our team, save two. We saved two people at the office because the overwhelming amount of paperwork that we would have to face was overwhelming. But we, and I think Malcolm knows this, and Carol, you know enough about um, about the retail business from your time and with Everyday Gardener and Everyday Gourmet and, and your experience with restaurateurs. There is no bank account of money that's out there. Right. It's not, not a corporate entity behind an independent restaurateur. There's no, generally, if we have a line of credit, it's already been tapped because we had to use it at some point in time. So the idea, there was no harshness behind letting everyone go. It was reality because there's no way to make a payroll without cash coming in. And we had already been starved for two weeks. We'd gone through a slowdown in the first two weeks of March where our sales reduced by 50 and 60%. So that letter I wrote was an extraordinarily difficult one, but we also wanted to queue up our folks to get into unemployment, knowing that there was going to be some opportunities there for self-sustenance while we figured out what we were going to do. And quite frankly, all I was looking at was the three restaurants we had, the leases we had in place, the personal guarantees that have Dan's and my name on it, the the uh, the couple debt instruments we have out there, small but still real, and the fact that I really didn't know what was going to happen. I had I, I was I had no idea, and it was just absolutely positively the most extraordinary and most. It really informed me. I, I shared some stories with some folks a couple of weeks in. It informed me to how you must feel when something unjust happens. I didn't do anything wrong. I didn't do anything wrong. I was I did everything right, and yet something incredibly unjust happened. And I think that's been very helpful for me, especially with the 
the the national narrative we have going on with with um, uh, civil rights and and with um, um, equal opportunity and equity that um, that's been a, you know that's that's one bright thing is it's taught me um, the cut of, of of unfairness. So all that said, um, the the blessing between the partnership of Dan and me is we're two very different people. Um, I activate and I have a lot of energy. And so this became a challenge for me. So I just doubled down and I did everything I could to figure out how to get through this. And the, the, this is where really community came in and Carolyn Malcolm, what happened is the three days into shutdown, I got a call from David Roberts. You mentioned local grocery stores. So David and his company, uh, the Roberts uh, company purchased the former McDade's frugals and they're now the corner market. And yeah. Um, David called me from Hattiesburg and said, hey, you know, we can't find bread. You have a bakery. Would you be interested in baking bread again? And I said, that's something I can do. I called two of our bakers and the two of them with me and I can't cook. So I'm, <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm just assisting. And we started baking bread and that got me two guys in the kitchen. And then we had to cool it, slice it, bag it, tag it. So I got three more folks in the front house. We're able to get a core group of five for the first week just to start some activity again. And from there, we started watching what was happening with nationwide with the idea of curbside delivery. So we were able to add that and bring some people in. We were very blessed to get a contract with uh, Mississippi Emergency Management. Um, we shared that with the friends at Georgia Blue. We did one day. They did one day. We went back and forth. That allowed us to bring in 10, 10 more folks. We were seg segregating our staff, so we kept everybody in small teams. Again, early in the pandemic particularly, there's great concern about not really understanding transfer and how that works. So we were in mass from day one. We were working you know, very, very diligently about concern about, about uh, safety. And so we've been able to expand out from there, the idea of getting ready to open dining rooms, the curbside delivery, doing neighborhood delivery. We came up with the idea of, uh, and didn't create this, we're just copying other folks. Call a homeowners association, ask them if we can get a date to get on their calendar, send a menu out. We create a website that you click through, you order, you pay for it. We get 30 orders and we would deliver everything out. And in one hour, you're just passing it out to people in front of the clubhouse. Any and every way to innovate our way through to try to start building our business back. Six weeks, six months now in, you know, into the pandemic and and multiple months in the summer into to operating, I think I'm a, the narrative I'm about to share is, is common to all. I think most restaurants are operating somewhere between 60 and 70% of revenue if they are, if they're operating well, if they're operating poorly, um, they're, they're, they're facing some very difficult conversations. 60 to 70%, as Malcolm will tell you, um, is, a, is a slow burn to insolvency. Um, at 100%, a restaurant is lucky to make a couple cents on the dollar. Um, so, you know, the, being proficient at being able to access federal stimulus, being able to be very smart about how we're spending things. The reality is landlords want their money. The insurance companies need their money. Every vendor is getting their money. So generating sales is what's tantamount to being able to stay alive. And there's this, there's this conflict between um, come out and eat and stay home and be safe, that every single family is making that decision. And our job is to create a wholesome, safe environment in every possible way we can to be hospitable, to allow folks to make that decision. And if folks aren't comfortable with that, to find ways to get that food going out. And that would be the Bravo to go window. That would be the front and back door of Broad Street. And that would be 
the the uh, we've take we've closed the lounge at Salamuki's on in, in Fondren, and the entire lounge is nothing but a takeout staging area now because over fifty percent of our business, even at Bravo, is takeout now. It's it's right. a complete shift in favor. So that's a that takes you from here to there. How's that? Well, uh, I want to start by saying <clears throat> you have done a fabulous job communicating with your customers. And as I said, you know, Bravo has been my dining room for 26 years, and it was like a, a real loss you know, to not be able to go in and go to the window and see Adam on Sunday night and, you know, not to uh, dine in the dining room. And, and I really felt that you communicated with all of your customers in a really great way. I mean, that we knew everything that was going on. We knew what you needed. We knew what you, you know, what you were feeling. Um, and I, you know, I've, I've stayed a customer. I've watched you. I've kind of getting tired of the word pivot, but, uh, you know, at first, those of us who were of an age that we're not supposed to be really going out, you know, the, the curbside delivery, uh, now the the window is open, and I see people at the t- at tables in the restaurant. I, 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 there are not that many tables in the restaurant, and the outside. Um, but I want to thank you for opening the window at lunch. Well, thank you. That's, we yes, that makes a big difference. It's that's a it's a you know we just that is a pivot. That's just changing where somebody is stationed. Yeah. Well, that's Tanya. You know, she's she's pretty brilliant. Yeah, but but you and all of our restaurant friends have had to come up with super innovative ways to stay in business, and you know we want to all do what we can. Well, two two comments on that. So so one thing is this idea about being safe, and I I I I will I do want to report to you that since the end of April when reopening, we've had seven cases of coronavirus among the hundred and forty five employees we have. And those seven cases have been have been spread out, you know, over courses of two to three weeks between them. And every single one of them were infected from a family member or somebody in their their um, that they live with a roommate uh, and no, absolutely zero cross contamination within the restaurants. Zero. And that is is a, the cautionary tale that I continue to share with so many folks that are in the retail business to just say, this is why you continue to tell your employee to pull the mask over their nose. You know, my, my whole narrative, I walk through the, up over the nose, up over the nose, up over the nose, up over the nose, <laughs> over and over again. And, and the, the idea is that, that, there you go, Java, well done. Uh, the, the, the mask works, and it's the best thing we have right now, and it is what we can do to ensure that our staff can comfortably feel safe serving the public. And then we have some other protocols that, that are, you know, kind of um, unique. But uh, I just want to say that the second thing I just wanted to say was this really has brought the restaurant community together in a very, very intimate way. Former competitors were all talking and were sharing, um, you know, the common enemy is, is, is the virus. And the common um, friend is all of us that want to keep going here. And our employees are also our, our friends. And so many, the narrative about employees not wanting to come back to work and the stimulus money for employees making it too you know, rich to stay home. 
Well, those narratives are all true. And I, when I took economics at Millsaps, I learned that everyone will deal to their own self-interest. That's the basics. You know, ask Milton Freeman. He'll tell you that. But anyway, <laughs> what I found is that the will to work and the will to be significant and the will to do something of merit trumps that every single time. And people have come back to work in droves for us and uh, wanted to be back in that team. And so our our DNA and that, that secret sauce that we have that makes Bonnet so special, everyone's back. And and it's and it's and it and that's a blessing. And my job is to lead God direct us to the future and make it into 2021 and beyond. And Dan and I have done everything in our power to do so. Um, I feel I feel comfortable that we will make it through this. Um, I'm I'm just hopeful that that uh, um, all of our brothers and sisters uh, can do so as well. And and that that is beyond restaurants. That's retail in general. There's just been a you know this has been tough. All right, we're going to take a quick break and then come back and continue talking with Jeff Good, owner of several restaurants here in the Jackson area. He's also in, deeply involved in nonprofits. So when we come back, Jeff, I'm going to get you to talk a little bit about the impact on your nonprofit activities. Uh, stay tuned. And if you want to join the conversation, feel free to give Jeff, Carol, or I a call at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one 672 7464 We'll take a little break. We'll be right back with Jeff Good. Hey, this is Larry Morrissey with the Mississippi Arts Commission. I'm one of the hosts of the Mississippi Arts Hour, the arts interview show on Think Radio. Each week, myself or one of my fellow hosts bring you in-depth interviews with different creative Mississippians. We talk with visual artists, musicians, writers, as well as people who help bring the arts to their communities. We hear about how each artist learned their craft and get some insight into their creative process. You can hear the Arts Hour every Sunday at 5 p.m. on Think Radio. Or listen anytime by subscribing to the show through your favorite podcasting app. Goodbye, Joe. Me gotta go. Me oh my oh. Me gotta go. Pull the P-Row down the bio. You're listening to Deep South Dining right here on MPB Think Radio. Carol Puckett, Malcolm White. We're happy to have you tuning in today to listen to our program. On our show today is Jeff Good. Welcome back, Jeff. Thank you so much. So right before the break, we were talking about uh, the for-profit business, the restaurant industry, and you so uh, eloquently described sort of the position of your group and how you're doing. I wonder if you would take just a few minutes and talk a little bit about the impact on your nonprofits that you're involved with. I'd be glad to. So, so we worked very hard a couple of years ago to create something special here in Jackson on the Jackson State Parkway uh, in the old Koinonia Coffee House. We uh, took a closed coffee house. And we created a workforce training cafe. So a restaurant that serves the public, that uh, as its baseline is a training uh, ground for 18 to 24-year-olds in the metro area who are disengaged or disenfranchised, young folks that are not working, young folks that have not found the way to um, engage in the, the marketplace. And what we found by having a series of social workers and, and community um, uh, you know, leaders in terms of, of uh, workforce engagement is that these young folks um, have barriers to success, and that could be a physical barrier like you know, transportation, uh, childcare, family dynamic, or it also could be something as 
as uh, uh, serious as PTSD and just basic, you know, uh, lack of social skills and social socialization to be able to effectively work in the workplace. So uh, Emily Stanfield, Jordan Butler, uh, and their team have put together an amazing program where um, it's a 10-week program on site for soft skills and, and uh, um, life skills, and then using the cafe and the restaurant as a place to practice those skills, getting along with others, following instructions, doing things in a linear fashion. So, um, boy, howdy. And uh, Carol, <laughs> you've been participating with us, and I'm thankful. And it was a, a wonderful launch, and um, cohort after cohort went through. That's a 10-week program, and we're placing people in jobs. And the jobs are not restaurant jobs. People are going into jobs that are fit for the person. This is a granular thing. We're only doing, you know, 12 to 14 people per cohort. But COVID hit, and the problem with that was that it, it stopped the um, ability to do the retail business. So the cafe closed. And it also, this is very interesting, it choked the amount of people coming into the program. It, again, this narrative about being home, and I think everyone dealing with the, the stress of, of what's happening Folks, you think this would be the time you'd go out for workforce training. We're having a very hard time finding candidates. And our nonprofit partners, we've worked dozens of relationships with Southern Christian Services for Children and Youth, Operation Shoestring, Stewpot, the Hines County um, Human Resource Agency, uh, Department of, of, uh, of Public Safety, Department of Human Services. All of those organizations are, are, are atrophied somewhat, so they aren't able to bring forth the folks that they were bringing for the open enrollment call. So our cohorts have dropped in size. And the amazing thing is Emily and Jordan and Amber and Betsy and Marsh, they figured out that they just needed to change the enrollment. They weren't going to stand on their, you know, on their heels on this. They, um, they went to a rolling enrollment. So this past week they probably in, in the middle of a cohort and they're figuring out a way to change the, the, the narrative. So they're finding a way through. Financially, we're very blessed. We've had some great grant opportunities. We've had private support. Uh, refill will be fine. But, you know, it's it's just fascinating when you take a look, when you kill all the effects of this, this global pandemic. I don't think we really know until it's over what really the long the long-standing effects will be. But what I will tell you is refill will be there. And we are starting a project right now. Felder will love this. And by the way, Felder, I need to call you. Um, across the street, uh, the five blocks, five lots, I should say, the five lots across the street from Refill on Adams Street, we have secured all of those. They have been cleared. And on October the 3rd, we're having a charrette with the community to talk about a community garden and what that's going to look like. And... You know, community gardens are amazing things, and there's been so much effort in making some things happen both within formal formal groups like JPS within a school schoolyard or just in the community in general. But funding and energy and and, and that ultrea, that ability to keep going, uh, to use a Curcio word, uh, th that ability to keep it going has always been the struggle. We've been blessed that the Junior League of Jackson has come to the table and has said they want to make this their provisional project and give this legs ongoing. So they pledged a significant amount of money and resource to get this thing rolling. But to me, what's really important, and they have agreed, is that the community, the West Jackson community, that area, the, the leaders, the, the men and women that are, are have for years lived, breathed, and, and for the benefit of their community will speak to what this, this garden will look like. And so the assets will be deployed based on what community really wants.
And there's so many opportunities for, for not only vegetable and, and flower growing, but there's great opportunities for engagement and, and the use of that as a catalyst. So um, we're, we're super excited about growth in a pandemic. Uh, Jeff, you and Malcolm, to me, are two great examples of how owner-operated restaurants in our communities are more than restaurants. I mean, you are, are builders of community, community gathering places. Your your customers become friends, and you know, there's great loyalty, and we need to do everything we can to keep you guys around. Well, it's like the old public house, you know, back in the, the colonial days. I mean, the, the, it, this is the gathering place, and this is where you see, you know, Republicans and Democrats, so everybody likes crawfish, you know, yeah. it, it, uh, everybody, everybody likes a good gumbo, everybody likes a good pizza, so it, it, it is a blessing, I do think we meet a lot of people, and I think the other part is, when you live in a community, especially a community as, as complicated as Jackson, it's really hard to do business in a community without really kind of getting inculcated with the desire to affect um, positive change, and there's nobody who's done more of that than the two of you. So, you know, right back at you. So, Jeff, not only have you been uh, trying to keep businesses alive and pivot, as we like to say, and trying to maintain your nonprofit uh, portfolio, but, man, you've opened a new restaurant during the pandemic, a Sal and Mookie's in Madison. Now, I know you've lost your mind. Yeah, you have lost your mind. <laughs> All right. So, so Dan and I are 57 years old and we're, we're, we're getting up there. Uh, and this concept of Salamukis, um, you know, this is Dan's, this is what Dan does so well. This is his baby. He, he came up with this idea 13 years ago. It's rock solid. My, my part in this is I just said, we got to have ice cream and you know, there you go. Um, but we've created something that works and that has a lot of emotion. So, Malcolm, you're really going to appreciate this. Two of our best employees five years ago came to us through Bravo and quickly got into management. They're a couple. And then um, they started showing great interest in having their own restaurant. They've been together for 14 years in the industry. They really want their own place. So we started to groom them, and then we moved them over to Salamakis, and they led that for the past two years. And then we put together a business plan with them. They created a private offering. They had an investor meeting in um, late January had one meeting, they secured $350,000 in one meeting from 35 investors, the same model as we did with Robin and Broadstreet, a small investment from a number of people. Um, and they signed the lease on March the 1st and got the keys. And two weeks later, of course, what happened happened. But these two, Patrick Munn and Hallie Sappington, Patrick Munn, Hallie Sappington, are incredible human beings and dedicated folks. They work their heart out working with their contractor, working at night when the contractor wasn't there, painting things, doing things. They took the old Georgia Blue in uh, Colony Crossing. Georgia Blue moved across the street, built a new building, vacated that. They were able to leverage that asset. They did a great job, came in under budget, opened six weeks ago. Dan and I, this is the kind of restaurant opening we like. Hard work for two weeks there, every single shift there, working hard. And then it's like, okay, now we can leave. And now it's... <laughs> And uh, we do the first, right when we get off the, the show this morning, we have our first financial meeting today where we're going over their first, first month's financials and set of books. And we're just really impressed with what they've done. And it, I will say that Madison has, has accepted them 
um, with open arms. And what we saw is so many of our customers from Jackson that live in the suburbs just aren't able to trade with us based on we're a family restaurant, families, school, sports, church. This gets into the neighborhood where a lot of our folks live. And so it's a good thing corporately for us. So this is a license slash franchise. It's a piece of the business for us. And it, and it helps grow our overall concept. And hopefully as time goes on, our goal is to find other people to do that partnership with us. We have one on the co- Gulf Coast with Bruce and Rebecca Lacey that's been there for five years. We're looking forward to trying to grow that in that way. Well, Jeff, uh, what you just said reminded me of a quote that, that I saw this weekend by the former owner of 11 Madison Park. And he was asked what restaurants, why restaurants were doing what they were doing. And of course, like you, he said to keep staff employed, to maintain momentum. But what really hit home with me is we're here to give moments of joy to people who may have no other moments right now. Amen. I used to give a speech all the time for orientation and for employee meetings where I talked about a restaurant is a place the world is full of a lot of crap, and a restaurant is a place that you can come and you get away from it, and that we it's our job to create a cocoon. And that cocoon can be, you know, it, it, we have a restaurant that's right next door to UMC. It's Salamuki's. We don't know if somebody's been up all night long in the emergency room or not. So you have to teach your service staff to kind of read the table. It could be a business meeting. It could be two ladies celebrating a birthday. It could be two ladies celebrating the fact that one lady finally got rid of that SOB, and it's a divorce. <laughs> you don't know. You don't know. And it's our job to lead, guide, direct people through that. So amen to amen to Levin Madison. What a great place. Thank you so much, Jeff, for being with us today. And the best of luck and continue doing what you do so well, which is being a swell guy and a community-minded business owner. Deep South Dining is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Stink Radio. We are funded by the generous contributions from listeners like you. Our show is produced by Java Chapman. For my co-host, Carol Puckett, and our guest today, Jeff Good and Felder Rushing, Malcolm White here saying thank you for tuning in. Stay tuned for Now You're Talking with Marshall Ramsey, followed by Southern Remedy at 11. Join us every Monday at 9 a.m. in the morning for Deep South Dining.